Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Doublers Podcast. My guest this week is J.G. Miller. J.G. is a principal horn of the United States Army Field Band and has quite a few other things that he does as well that he's going to share with us. So hey, J.G., thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's really great to catch up. Um, so awesome. So let's start Let's start with the origin story. Um, can you share a little bit... Uh, can you share a little bit about where you are right now, of course, and then um, just sort of your the TLDR of when, where you went to school and sort of what that journey looked like for you? Yeah, so I am Sergeant First Class J.G. Miller. I'm currently at the United States Army Field Band, which is one of the four premier bands of the United States Army. I started off uh, in a musical family, but no musicians like by profession. They were all in the medical field. So um, I grew up kind of all over the U.S. My, my dad was in pharmaceuticals and medical supplies. So um, born in Colorado, lives in Missouri and uh, a couple other states. Pennsylvania is where I went to high school. Uh, graduated from a little town in Pennsylvania. And um, went up to undergrad. Originally, I was super excited to be uh, applying at the University of Rochester for pre-med because, you know, my family's all in medicine. My mom's (laughs) a laboratory tech and my dad's in, you know, pharmaceuticals. And I really wanted to be a a pharmacological toxicologist, which is surprisingly difficult to say, even with a slight lisp. (laughs) Um, So I got accepted there. I got accepted to the Eastman School of Music. And full disclosure, I was not, I was more excited to go to U of R. And I was like, music, okay, something fun to me, you know. Um, I didn't really practice a lot in high school. And I kind of kick myself for that now. But I just had a lot of other interests. And and so it was was just really exciting. Um, And in undergrad... Um, I got a chance to, to pass out of some classes on the, the pre-med side. And so um, my professor, Peter Curow, was like, can I just have your undivided attention for like a year? Mm-hmm. And I think you could earn money. You could make a career in this. And I, pro tip, don't laugh in your professor's face when you're a freshman. Uh, because I was just like, yeah, right. Like, yeah. okay, this is something I like doing. It's fun. I, I always had that approach of of the practice room was just oh, okay. I, I need to work on something. Like it right. wasn't like oh I gotta grind this out and oh you know it was just it was honestly for me a way to get away from the laboratory research and titrations and you know balancing redox request you know like all that <laughs> right. stuff. Um, and so uh, pretty quickly I realized that I was having way more fun. Um, in the music side of stuff. So I quickly added a um, major in education. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was, a, I was a dual major in education. And I took maybe a couple weeks, I think, of some of the, the orgo, organic chemistry. And I was like, nope, nope, yeah. nope, nope, nope. I'm not, I am not suited to be a, a clinical research person. I just nope, yeah. don't have the temperament. So um, I was like, okay, well, I'll I'll do performance and education. Um, did all of that, did the performer certificate and and all that stuff, and I was like, okay, you know, I I was really excited to to teach high school band. 
Mm-hmm. And it was really funny going into my student teaching. I was like super excited to do high school band and not really like amps to do beginning band. And my experience was the complete opposite. I had so much more fun working with young kids that it was just like, wow. I mean, and, and this includes a, a fun story of my first day teaching um, elementary kids, uh, I, elementary children. I actually uh, one kid was not feeling well and was super mm. nervous and um, had an unfortunate incident where his, his stomach uh, was so upset that he proceeded to uh, chunder all over my pants. And oh, my, no. my, my co-op teacher was like, good first day. Let's yeah. call it. And I, <laughs> right. I just went home and I was just like, and I was kind of like, this poor kid was so embarrassed and, and it's just like, they're so, they're so great and they're so young and, and they just love everything about it. So, yeah. uh, I did it's teach luck, high school right? band for a little bit. Exactly. You know, it's, it's like, you know, raining on a wedding day. Yeah. And, um, so I, I did the long-term sub position. Um, I was teaching in around the Rochester as a, uh, Rochester area as a, as a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I just really burnt out. Like I was that statistic. So many of our music educators, my, my hat goes off to you. I was not cut out for it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a grind. It was hard. And um, yeah. I decided, okay, I love to teach. So what other avenues do I have? And I was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll look at a master's. There's a new program starting at the university of Arizona with Danny Katzen of the Boston symphony um, woodwind quintet, which I was, I was the loud, obnoxious horn player, you know. Okay, well, let's let's do some woodwind quintet. And and when they said intensive woodwind quintet program, mm. I was not expecting to do like fifty five pieces of woodwind quintet in two years. I didn't even know there was fifty five pieces of woodwind quintet wow. in two years. It was it was nuts. Yeah. Um. And so I did that, and I figured if I'm going to do a master's, I might as well slam out a doctorate. I did my doctorate then over with the University of Southern California mm-hmm. with Jim Thatcher, uh, one of his last full-time students uh, there. And um, I just really kind of enjoyed a really wide – and that's just like the horn side of stuff. Like I guess that's kind of the TLDR for as a horn player. Right. Um, yeah, for, for from point A to point B. Um, I never would have imagined being in the military because uh, some of my friends know that uh, in – in undergrad, I, I took great pride in my ability to eat the entire Taco Bell extra value menu in one sitting. Wow. Uh, and that was a, quite a bit of gastrointestinal discomfort, but I could do it. Uh, I did weigh, I did weigh about 350 pounds. So obviously mm. I never really envisioned myself being in the military at right. all. Um, of course that, that kind of eating habits is, uh, I was probably destined for a pretty quick heart attack at that point. So yeah, yeah. that's quite a bit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I was freelancing in LA, played on some movies, uh, toured with a band here and there. Um, really enjoyed kind of the, the thing that's great about Los Angeles is it's tough work, but it's different every day. Mm-hmm. You never get bored. Um, and you can make the most of it, but, but you really got to be creative and you've got to be, have interpersonal skills and all these things that they don't teach you at a conservatory, you know? Right. Um, really critically important. And, um, ended up auditioning for, for this band on a whim and, and it, it just worked out. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of the TLDR for the horn side of stuff, but yeah, obviously this is called doublers. So that's, <laughs> that's only half the story. Yeah. So, so it sounds like when you took the field band audition, you said it's on a whim. So you weren't on the audition circuit. That was not something that you were really focused on at the time. It was a little bit more of a, here it is. Maybe I'll give it a go. I sort of, I mean, I was definitely 
I was preparing at the time I was preparing for the LA Phil associate audition. Mm. And um, I used it as a kind of a, you know, all of the excerpts were, were kind of just not your typical orchestral excerpts. So I just kind of used it as like, okay. And weirdly enough, the audition was at the International Horn Society Symposium in Denton. I was there as a vendor for Lawson Horns. So I was getting paid to go there and I was working with, you know, participants and, and uh, a friend came up and actually I didn't know him. Actually, it was he was a mutual friend mm. came up and was just he called me by a name that was very specific that only people from undergrad would know. And I'm like, who are you and how do you know this nickname that probably only a dozen people call me? Yeah. Ends up he was roommates with a college friend of mine and he was a horn player in the band, Tim Heizenga. And mm-hmm. uh, he's now down at the Marine Band. But and uh, and I was just like, well, I can I mean, for, for our vendors who's ever worked at IHS, it's a grind like you're. Mm-hmm. You're on your feet. You, you, you're getting a lot of questions, a lot of people. You know, you're getting a lot of exposure, um, a lot of decibels, a lot of Tchaikovsky four being played really loud, and a lot of Till Eulenspiegel being played, and a lot of short call. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, it was. It's it's it's. And you're trying, of course, like we. You know, I was working for Kendall Betts at the time, and mm-hmm. and I wasn't getting paid on commission, so it was just like spend time talking to people about horns. You know, right. and it was great, and wedged a little chunk of time to be like, Hey, Kendall, I got this, they got this audition for this, this army field band. I'd auditioned before, but I was 350 pounds. Like, come on, like no one's going right. to take me seriously. There's no way I could like lose that. to kind of, you know, get that job. Right. Um, so yeah, I was, kind, I was on the audition circuit. Um, mm-hmm. at, I was also at that point seriously considering going to law school. Um, uh, my doctorate had a real, um, my cognate, you know, my, my academic area of emphasis was copyright mm-hmm. law. So I was really kind of getting interested in, in particularly how the movie industry and how work for hire and, and how like intellectual property. And actually a lot of my, my major work at the doctoral level was in the EDM community, electronic dance music. Oh, and how, yeah. And, and the cool thing about that, sorry, I'm going to nerd out for like just a couple seconds. The, the really interesting thing in, in the EDM, I was like kind of into it, but in LA, like the scene is just nuts. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing was is that they actively encourage, it's an, it's a badge of honor to have your stuff taken and sampled by another DJ or another artist. Yeah. And if you try to enforce your right to that music and say, Hey, you just played at you know in in las vegas for like eighty thousand people at this at this massive club like i should get some of that money you're shunned from the community and it was a big thing with dead mouse and mm. like he, he wanted to have creative control because hey this is my stuff and he kind of got a bad rap for a while because they're like but he was doing what he was and it's just this this total disconnect between the law and the arts industry that particular little subset yeah so that was a lot of my a lot of my research at the doctoral level for you know all the comprehensive exams and and talking a lot about copyright law and some of the hardest classes i've ever taken was at the gold school of law at at Mm -hmm. uh usc because it's like one of my professors was just like Okay, imagine my best and brightest law student coming in and taking atonal five hundred level theory. Never taken a theory class, and right. it's like, yeah, I, I I understand this, but I didn't realize you could write a sentence that's like a page long 
and you still don't know like where the where the, the independent clause is because it's like right. whereas blah 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 it, hitherto blah and like that's normal for them and I'm like yeah. looking at this like oh, oh god like where is the point right. and thousands of pages of court cases that you had to read like weekly jeez oh, uh, that was hard wow um, I bet I'd never been more proud to get a C in my life because I worked my tail off yeah. for that C. Um, but yeah, it was, it was probably the hardest academic course I've ever taken was, was property. It was intellectual property law after from 1990 onward. So, wow. Yeah. That's fun that's stuff. Intense. You, know? you earned that doctorate yeah. is what you're saying. Uh, well, it's a doctor of musical arts with, you know, <laughs> the running gag is what does DMA stand for? Doesn't mean anything, you know? So. Oh, I heard doesn't matter anyway, but <laughs> yeah, equally, I mean, in right. the military, it's defense media agency. So, you know, it can mean whatever you want it to mean. There you go. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. What a journey to get into the military. So it sounds like it's a good thing that one guy happened to know your nickname from college and harassed you at a convention. Yeah. He just, he was on me and I was like, well, I'll, I'll use it as a run for, for the LA Phil and, and I wow. played well at the Phil. I mean, I, I advanced, but I didn't get past the, you know, I got past the first round, but yeah. my second round was meh, you know? Right. So yeah, I mean, they, they found the great hire and, you know, so the prelim was my, the field band prelim was my prep for the LA Phil. I advanced the LA Phil, which I felt great about. And then I kind of rode that high for the, um, for the field band audition, mm-hmm. which I had to lose a lot of weight to, to even get the right to audition because mm-hmm. uh, military service is not a, it's not a, it's not a right. It's a privilege, you know, right. and there are basic expectations that you have to meet, especially medically, you know? Right. So, and physically. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of requirements. Cause I know that when I looked into doing military bands, um, I have celiac disease. And you can't go to boot camp and ask for gluten-free meals, apparently. Or at least well, you couldn't 10 years ago. Maybe that's... I mean, now. every everything's... When it comes to, like, the recruiting side of things, like, that's something why, like, recruiters is, like, a separate job mm-hmm. in the military. Yeah. And they have to be up to date on, like, you know, well, there's some things that are just hard line, you know? Like, no, yeah. we, we can't. And there are some things where it's like, well, we can get a waiver for that. Like, I, I had a LASIK vision. And, you know, they said, well, you can have LASIK vision... But, you know, when I enlisted, this is my experience, mm-hmm. but we have to get your original prescription. And I'm like, I, I, I don't have that. And they're like, well, you need to find it because they needed to know what it was before because that was the rule at the time. And oh. I also, with LASIK, I couldn't, I couldn't be like a pilot or, which makes right. sense. Like you don't right. want somebody going up there with a pre-existing condition that could endanger themselves or others or, you know, you know, property or anything. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, the recruiters is a whole separate thing. And, and um, yeah, it was... I had, I probably, that's the, the field band job was probably the hardest I ever had to work for an audition. And I think that kind of like, I was just happy to get the chance, like let alone play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That must've been quite an experience. Like I'm sure the timeline for getting in shape was not particularly long. Um, Uh, It was very compressed. um, And it was compounded that I was touring with a band at the time. So I was doing it on the road, which actually worked out really well because my job in the field band is touring. Mm -hmm. So how do you maintain, you know, you've got to figure out how to maintain healthy choices when your choices are, okay, we're taking a rest stop and your choices are, there's a gas station over here and a McDonald's over here. Right. Like there are healthy choices there. There are, but you got to think about it. Yeah. It definitely requires, I mean, having been gluten-free for a decade plus, 
Mm-hmm. I've gotten pretty good at finding where the hard-boiled eggs are at the gas station and all that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, because like I think I I probably have eaten at McDonald's twice in the last yeah twelve years or so, and it's mm-hmm. usually just getting French fries because um, I can't really eat like a meal. I think maybe I can mm-hmm. have a salad or something, but yeah, it's it's definitely like when you don't have to think about it, it's mm-hmm. really easy to just do whatever. Um, and then all of a sudden you have all these parameters in place and you're like, okay, how do I, how do I get around this? How do I make this work? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the, the military life is very much uh, all about personal accountability and attention to detail. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you can sit there and, you know, well, you know, my heritage, you know, I've had high blood pressure in my family and, you know, obesity runs in my, well, figure it out like find yeah. find a way to make a sustainable living and and make it happen so yeah that's you know amazing. it's it, and and the thing is is it really kind of what's really frustrating is when when you're somebody who thinks a lot like when somebody's just like we'll figure it out you're smart you kind of feel like well of course i should have figured this out like i'm smart <laughs> i should i have a doctorate i should know how to live my life correctly and healthy and and, and it's 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 a real testament to the difference between like knowing something and 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 kind of the difference between like knowledge and wisdom mm-hmm. like i know how to eat healthy right but how to actually eat healthy is kind of a whole nother you gotta gotta live it yeah like choosing to show up to it and following it and yeah 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 that's a yeah it sounds like that was a really good sort of segue into military life you know being able to function in the military and and taking some of those lessons along the way yeah um and that's one of the, in addition to kind of that attention to detail, the other thing that I, I've really enjoyed about the military career is I've met people I would have never met as a musician ever, ever. Wow. Like these are people that like, I would like stop, you know, at a, you know, like a gas station on a road trip and I would look at them and just can be like, like Ooh, we're going to, we're going to move quickly. And, and now like there are, there are millions of great people out there, but they're just not the people you're used to seeing. And going through basic training, like you are all equal, you, they don't care anything about it. Like you all have a shared task and the quicker that you can work together and put aside your own individual biases and your own individual, you know, baggage, mm-hmm. the easier it gets. And yeah. so now I am completely comfortable going up and talking to people where before I'd be like, Oh no, hmm. I don't associate with, 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 with people of, of that particular socioeconomic status, you know, like, you know, now it's like, no, like they are human beings, like, and, and we should as musicians be engaging them and interacting them and, and not expecting like, well, they would never show up to a symphony hall. So why should I talk to them? Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's incredibly arrogant and, and pervasive in the culture. And it drives me up the wall that we, we treat people as like there are these separate classes of society and it's mm-hmm. it's just so disheartening and and I'm I'm really trying hard to go out and be like let's let's just all be people and yeah. have honest and sometimes difficult but honest conversations with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like um with the with what the touring that the band does, I mean is outreach and like, you know, going to just about I mean it seems like as a military band, I would imagine that you're not necessarily targeting particular, you know, sets of people where it's like, oh, you know, let's go to this neighborhood because it's wealthy and there's people here that might be interested. You know, it seems like the band kind of serves everyone. That's the point. Absolutely. And that's where 
our audiences, I mean, the last job I had before the field band was completely transformative. And the field band, we get such a cross cut of people. You'll get like this hundred year old World War II veteran. You'll get this 60 year old, you know, Vietnam veteran. You'll get these college, like, you know, music ed majors who are like super excited. And you get these, you know, people from the local schools and you get these people from the community who only come out for these military band concerts. And mm-hmm. it's this weird, amazing mixture of people and they're just digging the show. Like they're coming to be, you know, to, to have my, my philosophy is to have a meaningful connection with your audience. And it's so as a performer, it's just so much more freeing to have an audience who is just really genuinely ha- you know, happy they're, that you're there mm-hmm. and that they're being seen and being heard and that, that it's okay to get up and clap and, and, and it's not like, shh, 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 no, 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 quiet, quiet. This is, we don't clap in between movements here. Right, we don't right. do that. Like, no, uh-uh. Like, no, no, like, show some emotion. Like, <laughs> you can't tell me that when Beethoven symphonies were premiered, that people were quiet. It's, no, I'm sorry. Like, you <laughs> have to know that it was, it was raucous. It was fun. And yeah, some of them might have been quiet. But, right. you know, if somebody didn't like what they were hearing, like, they just start hucking food at the stage. Like, you know, right. so... So don't tell me that the modern orchestral approach is turn down the lights and be quiet and don't even unwrap a wrapper if you're coughing. Like, right, right. So I don't buy it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the experience. I mean, and yeah, that's, that's really interesting. That's a good point. Um, cool. So, so let's, so as you mentioned before, this is a podcast called Doublers. So can you share a little bit more about your secondary career pursuit that you're, that you're working on right now? So the great thing with, with army is that with, with army musicians, and this isn't just like the premier band, my heart goes out to the, the MOS code of 42 Romeo, which is 42 R and that's the army bandsmen just, so in addition to the four premier bands, there's a whole slew of over 60 other bands, whether it's Mm -hmm. reserve or national guard. And, um, you're expected to not only be a performer, but there are other details that, you're expected to do. So not only just supervisory role, like you will become a supervisor sooner or later. So you have to develop interpersonal. But mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I do, a couple of the, the jobs that I have um, at the field band, um, the most recent one is in this time of, of uh, coronavirus was uh, our information management office. So our IT or, or, or technical support information assurance. Um, we had had a lot of um, a turnover, a lot of attrition there. And we got to the point where, you know, army regulation states like you have to have so many people certified for certain levels. Mm -hmm. So we had gotten down to only one person certified and our commander was like, hey, we got to fix this. Find somebody who's without putting too fine a point of it, a nerd, like (laughs) who can pass this test. And it's and uh, it was it's the CompTIA Security Plus Mm -hmm. and um so I was like, okay, well, I mean, it's been a while. I, I built websites way back in like GeoCities timeframe and, and, uh, you know, I, I'd done some like stuff, but it'd been like 10 years. So I might yeah. as well have known nothing in technology. Yeah. If you're 10 years out of date, like, right. I mean, yeah, I was great on, yeah, I was great on windows 3.1, put me on windows, you know, seven, like, okay. Right. Uh, how does windows this work? 95? Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I did get certified and, and I do, I'm an assistant information management officer. Um, so I have to do, I have to take care of our, um, 
property books. I have to make sure that all of our, cause in the military, like every computer that connects to, you know, the secure, you know, network has mm-hmm. to be maintained and we have to make sure that people, you know, maintain. So I do a lot of that. Um, I do my education calling. I'm, I'm the training non-commissioned officer. So I make sure that the entire unit is up to date on, um, army mandated training. So right now we're putting together a whole, um, there's a whole going to be whole guidance coming down on like um, domestic extreme and uh, domestic terrorism and uh, white mm-hmm. supremacy within the ranks. So we're looking ways to how can we meaningfully teach this in a way to the ranks that like like this is a problem. Like we need mm-hmm. to address it and we need to we need to to really have open and honest discussion. So yeah. as training NCO, I have to make sure that we're compliant and and that we're we're getting the guidance, we're implementing the guidance, we're getting the the subject matter experts, whether they're within our unit or they're outside our unit, like I'm making sure we're getting people in there to be like, Hey, you know, army has identified that we need to work on X, Y, and Z. Um, not the physical training side. That's, that's a separate, like that's under a bigger umbrella. Right. The, the book smarts yeah. is kind of what I, I have to be responsible for. And I also cover the things like financial stuff. readiness. Exactly. You know, how dare they look <laughs> um, in the horn section? I covered. Well, I, I have to tell you, we have one of the, we have, I'm a little biased, but one of the finest horn sections, not only playing wise, but just people wise, you know, our, our horn section, top to bottom, they're involved in everything. Like nobody slacks off in our horn section. Like we have, we have our, our master fitness, one of our two master fitness trainers for the entire unit is a horn player. And our, uh, two of our five retention officers are in the horn section. And, uh, uh, like it's just, it just goes on for days. Like horn, horn players, there's something about horn players that, you know, we always want to stay ahead of the beat, I guess. Right. So, um, so yeah, the, the military expects a, a pretty high level of competency in, in more than just your instrument. Mm-hmm. And it, it would be the same in any other field in the military, like whether you're a, a radio, you know, communications, you know, expert, like you're, you're going to have to have other responsibilities. Um, and that's one of the great things is, is you never get bored. You know, you're yeah. always finding something else new because as soon as you take on a new role, you need to be thinking, how do I train the next person? Because sooner, like, I'm not going to be in these roles for a decade, you know? Right. So you need to train, begin training the next person, you know, identifying talent. Talent management is another big thing, like finding how to how to hire, not only outside the unit, but even within the unit. Like, who are the people best suited for the jobs for which I'm responsible? Mm. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's never a dull moment. And, um yeah, that's kind of fun. And then, um, fortunately I do have some time to do some stuff on the side. Um, particularly I, I, every person has their crutch. Um, for me, it's cars. Mm. I, I am very into cars. My first car was a Jeep Wrangler and I, I love that thing, but man, I, I just beat that thing to heck going off road. And, and then my next car was like a Toyota Matrix, which was fine. It was it was a good gigging car, high efficiency, you know, hatchback, so you could just pack all sorts of stuff. But mm-hmm. I, I I I pinched my pennies and I saved and I saved and I saved and um I made some smart you know you know small investments. I'm not going out and buy crazy stocks, but small stuff. And I finally saved up for enough to buy a used Tesla. Nice. And so I do, I drive a used, used model S that I got for a really good certified pre-owned price that was like just at the, but of course I'm like, okay, now I've got this big car payment. What do I do? <laughs> well, I want to take care of my car. So I learned how to do automotive detailing. Um, so I started a little detailing, um, company on the side. At first it was just like, um, 
friends and family. And, yeah. and during the nicer months, um, I'll do like, you know, two-step paint corrections and, you know, really, you know, cause I, I finally have a nice car and I really want it to like look good all yeah. the time. Right. So I learned how, and it's like, well, I could pay, I could pay somebody else to do it or I can learn how to do it myself for a fraction of the price. So, you know, I learned how to apply, you know, ceramic sprays and, and, you know, all the little kind of just learning online and forums and YouTube and just learning how to, and, and, you know, really, really putting it on myself. And, you know, like you're never going to take, if you finally have something nice, you really want to take good care of it. So I do that. And then I also figured, you know, I'll, I'll drive for Uber too. And because the car is um, considered like, it's considered like luxury, even though it was Mm -hmm. like used. And I actually paid less for that than the minivan that I got for my family. So like, so like, it, but it is considered a luxury car. So yeah. like, I was like, okay, well, I'll start driving for Uber just on the side. And, and I, I, you know, I was fortunate to have a day job and this was, you know, you know, BC before children. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I would just, oh, okay. You know, two nights a week, three nights a week, go out and, and make money. And then yeah. because it was a luxury black, you know, car that was colored black, Uber has this whole like, well, and I also live really close to the airport. Oh so, yeah. Um, I live near BWI, so yeah. I could in in eight minutes I can be in the the queue waiting for like the next round of people flying first class from wherever you know, right. and yeah. you know make a couple of bucks and help pay down this really. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's not cheap, but it's it's not like it's not like eight hundred dollars a month or anything. It's, yeah. it's you know, I'm trying to find ways. I'm always trying to find ways to like take. Something that I, if I'm going to spend money on something, I need to find a way to make money to offset it. Right, so right. Buying, buying, buying an expensive horn. Well, we better start getting gigs to offset it. Buying, right. you know, a nicer car. Well, let's put it yeah. to work. You know. Yeah. So, That's so awesome. yeah, I, I, I keep busy. You know, I do some consulting on the side. I do arranging. Uh, I'm, I'm a vice president of a publishing company that I started with a friend of mine, Wayne Liu, and. Um, and that that's that's just fun. We just do stuff on the side, and, and awesome. we're all about giving like you know independent artists you know a venue. And really, it's just like all the horn choir arrangements I made and brass quintet stuff that I can sell that's in public domain. I just put it up there, and if people that's buy awesome. it, then then great, you know. So yeah, what's the name of your yeah, publishing it, company? Uh, that's Veritas Musica Publishing. It's based I out of Eldora, Iowa. I did yep, not realize that was me. you. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm. It's uh, Wayne Lewis, the president, and then Kurt Gorman and myself are the vice presidents. We're the three founders. That's so, so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, so, so are there a lot of fun. arrangements it's, that you did like earlier in life, and now and now you're able to kind of take them and and keep getting that. Sure. I mean, income? I was. Yeah, I, I worked through. Um, so my summers, I'd work at Kendall Betts Horn Camp. Mm-hmm. Um, back before the staff was paid, I was a volunteer, but I'd get mm-hmm. a tuition waiver. So yeah. again, if I'm going to go, like, try to offset that, you know, right. so, uh, and I, that actually job first started, I was a lifeguard because I was Boy Scouts of America lifeguard certified and their lifeguard like bailed at the last second for the lake. Oh. And that was back in like 2000, 2000, 2000, no, 2001, I think. Oh, and wow. Kendall, Kendall was like, we can't use the lake unless somebody is a lifeguard because they couldn't, it's in this really remote corner of New Hampshire mm-hmm. and their lifeguard just couldn't make it. And I was like, well. I'm not Red Cross certified, but I did do Boy Scouts of America certified. And Kendall's like, good enough. You get a free week. <laughs> and That's sure great. enough, then the next year, he's just like, hey, you want to come back and do this for two weeks and get free, you know, t- you know, a tuition waiver. And yeah. I was just like, sure. And um, 
I started arranging for, because I was one of the people who, again, aforementioned nerd, I had Sibelius and actually I had Cakewalk back then and Sibelius and really early builds. Yeah. So I could, I could arrange the composer in residence. I could take his stuff and input it and print it. And yeah. I got really fast at typesetting and really fast at, at, um, at just doing uh, copyist work. Mm-hmm. Started doing my own arrangements. Um, I'd say, Hey Kendall, like, I got this fun little chart. And he's like, yeah, the faculty will read it. And then, you know, as my playing got better, he'd be like, yeah, sure. Come on, you know, play assistant, whatever. So, yeah. And then just, uh, after a decade of doing that stuff, like I just kind of built it up and it, it wasn't like, it was never like, Oh, I got to arrange. It's just like, I heard something I like and Hey, what would festive overture sound like, you know, right. for eight horns and a synthesized timpani? Yeah. There we go. That's so. Funny. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure because the year I was there, I was at Kendall Bed's Horn Camp. I think in 2010 was where we met. Um, yep. Yeah, and I'm I I know that we played some of your arrangements. I couldn't tell you which ones they were because the past is all it's all in one big giant soup at this point. But I I can't even remember what happened yesterday at this point, right? Or what I ate for breakfast this morning. I have no idea. <laughs> All that I know is that I didn't eat it and my kids didn't like it. So that's about where I'm at for breakfast this morning. <laughs> those were the those were the main points. Yeah. That's Take the awesome. battles you can win. Right. I know. Exactly. Yeah. So it sounds like you have so many interests outside of uh outside of like just the straight and and you know, it's interesting for me because I I had sort of vaguely known that when you're in the military and you win a military job that you are expected to do things outside of straight just play your horn. Um but it's so interesting that um that you're expected to not only do a thing, but to cultivate the thing and to advance in the thing. It's not just like, okay, you're going to be the one who, you know, moves the uniforms around and that's what you're going to do for 15 years. It sounds like there's really a growth component to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because especially, especially with, with uh, the, the line bands or the bass bands, like you're only there for four years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then you're on to the next station and at the next station, if they've got six people working in supply and you were like the only supply guy, you know, supply person at the previous station, like they're like, okay, well, that's great. We don't need you. Like go. Right figure something else out so yeah yeah, there's 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 always that that whole culture of moving you know to the next thing moving upward you know continual learning and also the people coming after you you want to set them up for success Mm -hmm. so if you just leave a a shop that's in a complete disarray sooner or later word's going to get around it's like hey that person left you know hawaii and and they just like really didn't do a good job of keeping the book and sooner or later that catches up with you so yeah you want to do the best job you possibly can with the resources that you have and the time you have so again just learning to delegate and learning to just prioritize is, is another big culture you know in the military yeah yeah that's very cool yeah and and so it sounds like i know that since COVID has happened and, you know, and the band was a touring band, but obviously touring isn't exactly a thing that's going on right now. Um, it sounds like the band was able to adapt as well to that situation. Can you speak a little bit more to how the band was able to fit, to pivot? Yeah. So our, the field band is made up of uh, four performing components and then an operation support component as well. So, um, 
we were out on the road. We were on our spring tour. Uh, it was, I think, March, you know, early March. We kind of started catching wind that, like, hey, this this thing's really, really not going well. And and the concert band and soldiers chorus at that time was in Indiana, mm-hmm. and we were we were on our way to Chicago. We were going to do a big concert in Chicago, uh, Symphony Hall, everything. Like we rented it, and it was it was going to be this awesome thing. I was so excited to be like, yes, playing playing Chicago Symphony Hall. Like, right. uh, you know, that's super awesome. But um. Yeah, so we, we get to Indiana. Uh, Indiana um, we're going to play at the Palladium, which is a gorgeous. Any anyone who lives in Indiana knows about the Palladium, and it's this gorgeous venue. Mm. Um, I was on the advanced setup crew, so like we were starting to get get the stage set up for the concert. Like that's the other thing is when you're a touring band, like someone's got to set it all up. Like there's no right. union crew there waiting for you. Like you know mm-hmm. we set everything up, and whether that's the Palladium, which is this just palatial mansion of a concert hall or you're playing our summer concerts. We'll play in the middle of a, of a football field. Oh, like, wow. All we need, all we need are seats. Like all the yeah. sponsors have to provide our seats. So we get there, we set up and, and the house manager of the Palladium got a call from the governor's office. It's just like, no, we're shutting this down. And wow. sure enough, we, you know, so we, we set everything back up. We had to tear everything back down, load back up the trucks. Um, and then the next day we were headed back to Fort Meade and our, our, support element our operations element what they did is they took this touring band four elements so we have the concert band the soldiers chorus they usually group together the jazz ambassadors which are just this kill and jazz band mm-hmm. and then the six string soldiers which is this um, bluegrass americana group all of us get recalled and the uh support and operations people turn our concert band room, our rehearsal room, and our soldiers chorus rehearsal room into a broadcast studio in six days. Wow. And it was nuts. And we went from performing, you know, 65-piece concert band, 28-person chorus, to small group recordings, seven shows a day, or seven shows a week. And we did that for probably two to three months of just and everybody had to you know we were like i was saying everybody's got to learn something so mm-hmm. everybody had to learn something new so if if you weren't playing you were learning how to operate a camera you were learning how to write a script you were learning how to produce a show because we we don't have a ton of support people so like, right you don't have perf- staff me- yeah, we have some, but yeah. they're handling like the big, like, okay, I'm the only one who knows how to be a technical director. Our technical, he needs to do that. And right. if that means somebody else needs to do marketing and find, you know, people and social media and metrics and, you know, you know, quality control and, you know, every single person in the unit had to learn a new task, like wow. immediately. And then, of course, there are, um, you know, Big Army will sometimes put out requests being like, um, our commissaries, our grocery stores on the military installations, they suddenly were hit with such a demand that they couldn't keep stuff shelved. Right. Because, you know, the, the, the families that live on these communities were, were just clearing the shelves out. So they're like, we need more people to help stock. So people of the field band, we were like, okay, well, we've got a detail now. Um, every day, 10 people are going to show up at seven and you're going to help stock. And wow. part of, of my growing up uh, is my dad had a really rough spell of being kind of blacklisted in the pharmaceuticals. So we had to go through bankruptcy. Uh, he had to go through unemployment. Mm. So like me, and, and when that happens, it's like you're, when you're a freshman in high school and like your family's filing for like bankruptcy, yeah, you are not below stocking stuff. Like you do the work. No. 
and you do a great job and you take your paycheck with pride and you go home and you keep figuring out if you're unhappy, then, then keep going. So, you know, we were stocking shelves at, at the, uh, you know, stocking ice cream. And this wasn't just like the, 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 the younger people, like the Colonel and the CSM also Mm -hmm. were doing these details too. So they were, they were definitely there too. Our sergeant's major were there. And, uh, and so, yeah, this, this, this whole transition, um, you just got to help people out. Like um, the military community is very tight. Um, We take care of each other. We do our best to take care of our, our dependents, you know, our spouses, our children, you know? And so we were doing that. Um, I'm trying to think what other, so right now, one of the great things um, really, really um, impactful thing we're doing right now is helping with the vaccine rollout. So every day we've got about uh, between, I think five and 10 people helping, um, our local medical clinic vaccinate people oh, wow. on the installation. So, yeah. you know, we're filling, you know, we're not, we're not sticking needles in people. We're not trained right. to do that. But, but the thing is, you know, the people who are trained again, you know, people who are trained to do that are, that's their only job is sticking needles in arms. And then we're the ones filling out. Okay. You know, here's, here's your card, you know, mm-hmm. here's, you know, the stuff. And they're like, you're all college educated. You can, figure out how to sanitize a station, clean this right. and just let our, our, let our people take care of, you know, putting needles in arms and you guys, you know, help people stay calm, you know, yeah. you know show them how to do it. You know, you're all in, inter- you know, again, interpersonal skills. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's something that um, I think next Monday I'm on a vaccination detail. So it's oh, just wow. amazing to just see people coming in and they're like, wait, you're with the band. I'm like, yeah, we're, we're all pitching in. Like, right. Yeah. So I mean, you're the usher of vaccines. Yeah. I mean, something like that. But yeah. uh, so, and that's what, again, one of those things where it's, it's so easy to, to be in that blinders mode of like, I'm just really working on this Brahms symphony and this is mm-hmm. all that I need to focus. And no, there's so much more important stuff. Yeah. And even as, as it might seem monotonous of filling out like, you know, CDC cards of like, okay, reminding people like you got to come back in 28 days for mm-hmm. your second dose like that. These people are again, just so grateful that, the, that you're there and that, you know, you're really tangibly not, you know, music's going to help the soul, mm-hmm. but this helps, at least for me, this helps my soul of like, okay, we vaccinated, you know, X number of people today. Okay. Right. That's good. I, I was a small part of helping people, you know, understand the, that this is, we're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome that there's so much, it sounds like there's so much variety and, and it can be surprising how things develop and how, you know, one day you're detailed to go stock the grocery store, then you're learning, you know, you're getting your cybersecurity or, or the certification that you got to maintain the computer stations, and then you're in charge of getting people through a vaccination line. It seems like there's just constant uh, variety, and you really have to have an open mind and be really flexible in order to do that, and not to mention the part where you, like, play the horn. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, I think, something that I really like about my peers in military bands. And it's not just the field band. It's it's across other bands. Like, if you're going to take this job, it's not going to be the job where you punch the clock, you show up, you play your dots on the page, and you go home. Like, mm-hmm. and, and there's there's that communal, like, the fact that with the exception of the Marine Band, Pershing, or sorry, the Marine Band, President's Own, and the Coast Guard Band, all of us had to go through basic training. So yeah. all of us had to, had to do that. There's, there's a, there's a community involved in that where I really 
think that, and, and you do honestly believe that like military service is an incredible opportunity for musicians. But if you're, if you're the kind of person who just wants to play in an orchestra and nothing like anything short of New York Phil is not okay, then, mm-hmm. then maybe it's not the right fit. And the last thing you want to do is get into a job and be miserable. Yeah. So chase the happiness. Mm-hmm. And if you're curious about it, talk to somebody, like talk to somebody in, and I, I, I was, and again, I can, completely advocate like i never thought in college i'd ever be in a military band like yeah. ever i mean there, i couldn't i physically did not meet the requirements and had no desire to meet those requirements so right. people are just like oh you're just saying that no, no no really like yeah anybody who knew me like you knew me in 2010 like i was mm-hmm. not a small guy right so and let me tell you that that bread at that summer festival was amazing and i would have no problem eating an entire loaf of it right. um best is that the best choice for my health? Probably not. Right. But I didn't care back then. So. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing path of growth that you've gone through of, of, yeah, of going through not only a physical transformation and then having, and then on top of that, you know, weight loss just to get to the audition and then having to go to boot camp after that. I mean, that must've been, that must've been quite a journey too. Absolutely. And then, um, yeah preparing for service Mm -hmm. uh what was even crazier was my entire concept of music performance was changed because um i was touring with the who as my last job so to go from an instance of like classically trained you know i played Mahler five my last year in my doctorate and i was playing in the studios on on hollywood recordings and like you know i was playing eighth horn whatever right uh i was not i was not like you know nope and there is no like i was not playing first book on stuff i was last of the line but um then right before coming into a job where the audience connection was so important I had such an incredible experience with working with people like, you know, Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend and the greatest musician I've ever, they're, they're obviously top tier musicians, yeah. but the greatest musician I've ever met and ever worked with is Pino Palladino. Mm. And as the bass player, uh, he's, he's no longer working with a who, but like absolutely like the way, and I had the chance to work with him and talk with them. And Kate, you know, I had, I had a dinner with, with some of them and even just like, chatting with them and treating them like human beings like right um just completely changed my outlook and and you know pete's approach to music was like you know he'd usually usually use the 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 colorful language but just essentially <laughs> essentially the 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 gist of the statement was it's live music yeah like play it like it's live music don't play conservatively don't like play like the audience wants you to do it and if you go for it and you miss it they don't care as long yeah. as you're genuine in your performance, yeah. you know, and, and, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, I wake up, I'm trying to lose weight. You know, I got this basic training coming up and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm really trying to eat healthy. And then I see, you know, Roger Daltrey, who's at the front of the stage, you know, doing all of quadrophenia and he's almost old enough to be my grandfather. He's like 69 at that time. Wow. And doing six shows a week and giving it. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, I, I have no reason to complain that I'm tired. Right. If, if someone who is who is who is twice my age is slamming out a show and loving it and mm-hmm. so in that state of flow and in the moment, shut up, JG. Right. Like, just 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 right. just shut up and play your part. Right. Like and, and wow. seeing crowds just like so pumped that you're there, that kind of energy. And then I went into this job and like 
it's still there. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I never got that feeling as, as an orchestral musician of like the audiences. I mean, maybe when you're a student and you know, your friends are out there and they're yeah. cheering you on, but like professionally, like I never got that. And maybe some people do and that's fine. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you right now, like just, just seeing, seeing the, the reaction of the crowd touring with them and then touring now, you know, we'll be getting back to touring obviously when it's safe. Right. Um, it's all about that connection. You yeah. know, and I just, I just, I'd never want to lose that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There is nothing quite like going into a stadium full of people that are screaming. It's definitely a different energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I've, I've, I love doing that stuff too. I really like that active connection. And that's one of the things that I enjoy about doing, you know, chamber music with my brass quintet too, is that you have more, you can see people, you're, you're not all the way in the back, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're yeah. towards the front. But, uh, you know, but yeah, that audience connection, you're right, is, is, is so important. I, I saw a great posting on social media where someone asks a question, something to the effect of like, what's something that you wish you could tell yourself, like your, your, your freshman undergraduate self. Mm-hmm. And my response was that I wish I could tell you that orchestral music is not the de facto pinnacle of artistry. Yeah. And I think I went into it thinking that like, again, I was thinking I'm going to, I'm going to do, you know, this and, you know, I'm, I'm guns blazing orchestral and, and the orchestra in my school is better than the wind ensemble, which in undergrad, you know, the Eastman wind ensemble is probably a little more well-known than, than the Eastman Philharmonia. They're both great, but, right. you know, having an undergrad foundation of like, no, these are both big deals and that philharmonia never toured while i was there but the wind ensemble went to japan mm-hmm. like kind of also i think kind of prepped me a little bit more for like okay let's let's look at this with a little bit not just not just like orchestral versus wind ensemble but just right music careers in general with just a much broader lens than just performance right because you're right it's easy to get into the very narrow focus and say i'm doing this i'm doing orchestral auditions orchestra this orchestra that um, and missing out on that bigger picture of like, oh, there is this whole wide world out here you can tour with the Who. I mean, that's something that's also available to you. Yeah, yeah. and and it's just being. I, I I talk a lot about this in in master classes, and it's just you know you don't have to be you know this super approachable, super friendly person all the time, but you do need to be cordial, and you need do need to be professional, mm-hmm. and you do need to. You know, there's just those basic things of of what is professional behavior, and and that does change depending on what venue, like like what are you in chamber? Are you? And that does change, and I think some people just plow through it, and it's like mm-hmm. no, like interpersonal skills are really, honestly, sometimes even more important than you're playing. You can be the best player out there, but if no one wants to play with you because you know you're espousing some, you know you know, crazy particular viewpoint on X, Y, and Z. Like maybe that's not, maybe work isn't the place to be doing that, you know? <laughs> right. Right. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is so, this is so interesting to hear about all of this uh, behind the scenes stuff um, for the, for the military bands, because um, yeah, you really don't necessarily know, or I, I don't think that I really understood the full spectrum of what you're expected to do and, and all these different things that are available to you um, as a member of the military. So this is, this is really cool. Awesome. Um, and so as far as, um, 
for anybody who might be interested in a military career or a military playing career, um, what advice would you give to people who are, who are considering that or looking into that? That's a really amazing question. And I don't get asked that one often. And I would, I would hope more people ask that one because it's, it's that first kind of step of curiosity being like, let's not just shut the door on this. Like, mm-hmm. let, well, well, tell me more, you know, I, I have this whole saying of three C's, curiosity, commitment, and community. So um, the curiosity is the big thing and, and having kind of an interest in like, well, what's this about? So the first thing I will say is that don't assume the Hollywood depiction of the military as the military, mm-hmm. because just like any other, you know, career field, like Hollywood is over dramatized and, you know, our, our drill sergeant's going to be punching you. No, that right. that's actually expressly forbidden like and it's just one of those things where my whole thing is the curiosity comes first and just and just kind of shed the preconceived notion of like what is like people see a soldier and they think oh gun toting you know they're going to go out and they're going to be deployed and and it's just like well okay there there's there's nuance to that and it's like yes you you will be asked it doesn't matter any anyone that you have to go to basic training to. You will have to pass a weapons qualification. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have any knowledge at all yeah. because if you remember during that that basic training period, uh, their teachers, their job is to get you from civilian to basic combat trained in anywhere from I, I think right now it's thirteen weeks for the Marines and mm-hmm. I think it might be seven or eight um, with Air Force. Um, and, and they're teachers. So their goal is to motivate you to achieve. And right. people who are, you know, people who ask me like, Hey, I just got this job. I'm, 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 I'm really worried about basic training. The remember that your failure reflects on your drill sergeant. So mm. conversely, they want you to succeed because the more people who graduate to the standard, the better they're doing their job. Now yeah. it's a little jarring because for some people, they've never really been held directly accountable for your actions or the actions of the people around you. So like if, for example, if I'm walking around the building and I see someone's uniform is, you know, they've got their, their name tape switched or their you know, flag is upside down or something, and I don't say anything, that reflects poorly on me because mm. I saw a problem. And it's literally like, it doesn't matter who they are, but it's just like, hey, sir, uh, check your uniform, you know, it's, it's a little jacked up, you know, right. and, and that's it. It's nothing personal. It's not, a, yeah. it's not a, I'm not telling them that they're a terrible person. It's just, <laughs> Hey, fix it. Like, right. it's nothing personal. So I'd say the first thing is like the shed, the fear of the preconceived notions of like, what is a soldier is probably the first thing I tell people is like, listen, it's, it's not, we're not talking full metal jacket here. Like it's, right. it's, it's, it's start with a curiosity and, just start by asking questions and talking to someone in the career field that you want to do. And maybe you're a musician and uh, you don't want to do music. I know one particular person who was a fantastic violist, went to undergrad with him, um, had a job at a um, uh, one of the uh, the Big Sky symphonies. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. And then opted like he, he was just like, I, I, I'm not, you know, he's principal viola, you know, making good change in a rural area, you know, lived comfortably. He's like, I don't want to do this yeah. anymore. He's now an Intel analyst, you know, and he still Sweet. plays viola and he still loves it. And he does Intel analyst and he, he'd be actually a great person if you can get him on the podcast. I'll, I'll, I'll send him, but yeah, he's yeah. just, um, 
so yeah, just talk to the people and realize that they're people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're not a, a, a you know a uniform with a serial number on it. They're, they're just right. people. Like yeah, we all we all have careers and families and interests outside of the military. You know, we don't think like a monolith. You know, right. in terms of of you know we're not brainwashed. You know, it's it's we're we're trained to think. You know, critically. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really good advice. Yeah, actually getting to know what is really going on and not not allowing your preconceived notions to define what it looks like for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great advice. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a really awesome conversation. And it's been so great to hear more about what it's really like to be in the Army Field Band. Um, and until next time, thanks so much, JG. Absolutely. And I just want to say again, thank you so much for the Stubblers thing. Feel yeah. free. Um, I, I do want to say thanks for, for the command, my command for making it happen. And if, if any of your listeners have any questions about Army Field Band or military service, they can always reach out to me. Um, our website is armyfieldband.com. We've got a really active social media channel on Army Field Band on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and pretty much wherever you get your social media. Yeah. Um, please reach out and, um, we're, we're here to, to help you and, I'd love to chat some more. So awesome. Thanks again, Aaron, so much. Yeah, thank you. And I will link all of those things in the show description. So if anyone's interested in those links, just check down below. And thanks again, JG. 